It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. On your Tuesday episode of Locked On Raptors, things are a little angsty in Toronto Raptors land these days, and so I thought today would be a great opportunity to let you, the listeners, ask me questions about the basketball team that you are worried about. We will dig into all of your listener questions about Nick Nurse, Fred Van Vliet, trade options, and the overall health of this team as they continue to putter along here at 13 and 14. We'll get to all of that on today's episode of Locked On Raptors. Thanks. Thanks, that is, so much for hanging. Oh, because like, when I shot, I expected to make it. So, like, I don't shoot kind of miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. going on welcome to episode number 1300 of locked on raptors for wednesday december the 13th i'm your host sean woodley you can find me on twitter at woodley sean i've been covering the toronto raptors now for nine seasons on all sorts of platforms you can find all of my work over there on my twitter account you can also follow the show on twitter at locked on raptors so you never miss an episode as they're tweeted out you could also go and follow subscribe to rate and review the podcast in audio form so you'll never miss an episode when it pops into your rss feed and we are of course on youtube you can hit the big red subscribe subscribe button over there to support the show that way see my face on video every day again even if you're not going to watch the videos every day just subscribe help boost the stats you don't have to worry about it or you can set up notifications and never miss an episode when it premieres and you can you know go into the live chats have a chat with people it's always a good time in there when the episodes are premiering over on the tube all right today's show is brought to you by prize picks first time users can receive a 100 instant deposit match up to 100 bucks with the promo code locked on that's prizepicks.com promo code locked on all Right. On today's show, another off day for the Raptors as they wait for their game against the Sacramento Kings on Wednesday night. A game that I personally can't wait to see because the feeling around this team the last couple days has been very grim. And the hope is that you have a nice inspired home performance against the Kings, get back on track. Or otherwise, things are going to get real nasty if they lose to Sacramento. Uh, and we'll, you know, dissect and, you know, assess the damage after that happens or doesn't happen. But either way, it's a game I think needs to happen because right now we're stuck in this sort of sour aftertaste of two losses to the Orlando Magic. And everything's, everything feels doom and gloom and terrible. And so your questions today, it's a mailbag episode, got some wonderful questions in, I think are kind of twinged with that fear and paranoia about this team maybe not being all that good. And we're going to try to dig into them. We'll dig into where the concerns are valid, where they maybe are a little misguided, misplaced, whatever. But let's get to it, shall we? Uh, first segment is going to be devoted to questions from our pal, Freddie 
Teddy Revis over at the Confederacy of Dunks. He's got two questions here that are sort of tied to one another. So let's dive on in as Nick Nurse is the first topic of conversation. First up, from Freddie. Again, go listen to Confederacy of Dunks. Great show. And uh, Freddie will be on this podcast sometime soon, I'm sure. Freddie asks, are the repeated injuries and exhaustion proof of too big a workload for the main guys? Or is Nurse just being scapegoated? This is a really hard question to decipher i think because it's not just one thing there's a lot of things going on i i do think the minutes are like the easy thing to scapegoat because it's tangible you can look at the number and compare the minutes number that guys are playing to what other guys around the league are playing and say that's bad this that shouldn't be happening problem is that that's not really the case this year pascal siak and fred van vliet both led the league in minutes last year on a per game basis that's not happening this season, Fred is high up, OG's high up, you know, top 15 or so in minutes played. But if you look at what guys are playing, Jason Tatum's playing heavy minutes. Kevin Durant's playing heavy minutes. Luka Doncic is playing heavy minutes. Like, the league has a lot of guys playing heavy minutes for their teams. I think it's a product of it being a very competitive and parity-filled league, and you don't get nights off, and you don't get fourth quarters where you get to rest your guys all the time. And I think we're seeing across the board... Guys are having to play more, and that's why Nick Nurse plays his guys a lot, right? We know Nick Nurse is going to go out and win or try to win every single game that he coaches. He's not in the, in the business of sort of, you know, handing over games in the interest of long-term health or whatever, and you can quibble with whether or not that is a fair way to approach the big picture of an 82-game season, and we'll get into some ways you can kind of scapegoat Nick Nurse, but I don't think the minutes thing is really applicable this season last couple games sure guys played heavy minutes but you had foul trouble you had bench injuries and you had games where you were chasing the game and trying to get back into it and when you're trying to get back into it against a team like the magic where getting back into it feels very attainable i don't think you can blame nick nurse for playing his best players a lot of minutes to try to win those games and it is what we love about nick nurse right it's the reason why i would be very hesitant to move on from him because you get into the pressure cooker of a single game situation you get to a play-in you get to the playoffs if you have nick nurse like you have an advantage because he's a really good in-game tactician and that ultimately is the kind of coach that's going to help you advance up the ladder in the postseason it may be that there's a different approach needed for the regular season and i could totally buy that argument and i do think there are some things to quibble with Nick Nurse about. You know, the defensive scheme, of course, is a thing. We're going to get to that in Freddie's next question. There's the, the argument that maybe Fred was overtaxed last season. At the same time, I don't know how much I buy that one either because the Raptors won 48 games. They had an objectively successful season, and Fred Van Vliet had to play heavy minutes early on because Pascal was out, because OG missed time, Gary Trent Jr. missed time, Scotty Barnes was just getting acclimated. The first two and a half months of last year were, uh, like, frankly, kind of a mess for the Raptors, and Fred Van Vliet carried the team to respectable results during that time. And I don't think they win those 48 games last year. They don't get the experience of a first-round playoff series that goes six games if Fred Van Vliet doesn't do the heavy lifting early on. And, of course, that came with a cost. Down the end of the season, he was broken down. And, look... Maybe that's your concern going forward. There's another question about this with Fred Van Vliet that I'm going to kind of work this conversation into as well. But, you know, the physical decline thing with him could be a thing. And you don't know, you can't all attribute it to what happened last year. 
And it, it's also, it, we don't know what's going on. We don't have the biometric data that the team has. We don't have the sort of day-to-day readouts on these guys that the team and the, the, the medical staff are, are sort of picking and choosing. And I don't blame Nick Nurse for playing the guys who are available to, to be played, right? Like he's trying to win games. He's in the business of winning games. The medical staff is in the business of keeping guys healthy. And yes, Nick Nurse sh- shoulders some of that responsibility too, but when it comes to critiquing Nick Nurse, I don't think the minutes are the place to start. That said, I do think there are places where you can certainly go and critique Nick Nurse. So let's dive into those now with Freddie's next question, who asks, if you had to pick one option, should the Raptors stay the course and come out better for it on the other side or alter their schemes to lighten the load, i.e. less ambitious D? And this, I think, is where you can certainly point to Nick Nurse as being a little bit too steadfast, a little bit too stubborn in the way that he wants the team to play. We know that when it works, it really, really works. And that is, I think, the thing that keeps you coming back, the thing that keeps Nick Nurse coming back to this very help-heavy, closeout-heavy, dependent on rotation and guys covering ground and making up for, for lost space. That's why like Nick Nurse sticks with it, because when it works, it is incredible it's impenetrable they go on these stretches where they don't give up points for six seven minutes at a time i think it's pretty clear though that it's not sustainable over 48 minutes it takes a lot of attention it probably saps energy that could be better used on the offensive end where the raptors are terrible right now at least in the half court and if it was working and the half court defense was really good i think you'd say well yes it sucks that these guys are expending so much energy that they have this sort of one track mind and how they play defense but the results are there that's not the case right now if you go to Cleaning the Glass, which is, again, is a wonderful site. I pull a lot of the numbers I use on the show from Cleaning the Glass, worth a, uh, a subscription if you'd like to use it. Um, ben Falk does a great job over there. The half-court defense is 21st in the NBA right now in points allowed per play. That's bad. It's bottom 10 or 11, whatever you want to say. It's really, really bad. And I don't know how long you can continue saying, hey, well, they're going to they're gonna take back up. They're going to take back up. It's going to happen because we don't know that's going to happen for sure. They don't have great perimeter defense right now, which is kind of job one when you're playing this style of defense. If you have better point of attack defense, your help has to be less aggressive. You're less prone to getting buried by corner threes from role players, all of that. And that's not there right now. The way their perimeter defense is breaking down gives me a lot of pause about whether or not this system can actually work. And that depends if you, you know, do you think Fred Van Vliet can get back to where he's been defensively as a point of attack guy? Can Scotty Barnes figure out whatever the hell's going on with his point of attack defense? Can Gary Trent Jr.? I don't feel optimistic about Trent doing it. I don't know if Barnes has it in him right now. I think at some point he'll learn the proper balance, figure out how to use his length versus trying to use his speed and athleticism to stay in front of guys. You know, I think there's a world in which Scotty Barnes gets good at this, but it's not right now. And Fred, again, we'll get into in a little bit when it comes to his health and his his athleticism and all of that. It's all troublesome, but it's just, for me, it's a beautiful thing to have. It's a great thing to know that you can bust it out, and when you perform it well, that defense is going to absolutely suffocate teams. But if the results are suggesting that you're, you know, in 80% of your plays, which is what the Raptors are operating in right now, they're number six in the NBA in the total percentage of plays on defense that come in the half court. And that is honestly part of, you know, partly due to because they're so good in transition that a lot of those transition opportunities, you know, they end up turning into half court opportunities or the transition never transpires and the half court becomes the dominant play type for the other team. And the Raptors are not defending well in those situations. Had they been doing that, I think you could say, yes, stick with this defense. I do think there has to be at least some sort of multiplicity 
added to what the Raptors do defensively. They have the horses to defend one-on-one. OG, obviously, is such a huge asset there. Um, when you get Precious Achua back, that's another huge piece there, too. We know we forget about him. He's kind of not been around for a while here, but he's really effective defensively. That's his whole thing. I think there's a way they can switch more. I think there's a way they can dial back the aggression and still, you know, be able to kind of pick and choose their spots to get super hyper aggressive and try to get out on the run and force steals and things like that. They have, I think, the defensive talent somewhere in here to kind of have their cake and eat it too in some ways, but it's really tough right now. I think they need to mix it up. I think they have to have more variability in what they throw at opposing offenses in the half court because it gets predictable. And over the course of a playoff series in particular, when you're getting scouted over and over, we've seen it as a microcosm in the little two-game home-and-homes or two-game sets you know, it's difficult to game plan and, you know, figure out what the Raptors are going to do to you for one game. For two games, for seven games, it gets a lot easier. And that's why I think there has to be at least some imagination in the way the Raptors play defense, because right now it's not getting it done. 21st in the NBA in half court defense. That is suggesting that what they're doing is not working. And do I think Nick Nurse can figure it out? Yeah, Nick Nurse has had a lot of success and he has shown a capacity to want to play different defenses in the past. Think back to the title team. That team's whole thing was, man, they can play every type of defense on a single possession, and that's fine. They don't have a Marcus Saul to direct things. I still think they have a lot of high IQ defensive personnel and could play a little bit more of a variable style on defense, but it remains to be seen if Nick Nurse makes that change. And if he doesn't, if he stays this way all season long and remains steadfast that this defense is going to be the way the Raptors play, then maybe there are bigger questions to ask. But I still think it's too early to make any sort of big, brand, you know, broad sweeping claims that Nick Nurse is, you know, out, out of his depth or anything like that because he's very clearly not. I just think maybe he's been a little stubborn and, you know, we'll see if he can come around on that. We're going to continue on. we got lots more questions to get to. Great ones from Freddie to start this thing off. So thank you for those. Before we do that, however, and dig into some trade stuff and dig into some sort of questions about three-point shooting and, and other elements, we'll get to that in just one sec. But first, got to tell you about our dear friends over at Prize Picks, who have made daily fantasy sports fun, easy, accessible, and really, really great to play. It's super easy. You, you download the Prize Picks app. You get in there. You go to PrizePicks.com as well. And each night you can pick two to six players for each entry. The more players you pick, the more money you're going to win in your payout if you're correct. And essentially, you're just guessing whether or not each player is going to get more or less than their projected total in a given stat. So Pascal Siakam projected for 23 and a half points. You say he's going to get more than that. Boom. That is one win on your entry. Again, you do that six times. You can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. There's no competing against other other people it's just you against the projected stats no experts in some basement somewhere putting together a team you have no chance of beating and entries can be made in 60 seconds or less it's that easy you get safe and fast withdrawals they're currently operational in over 30 states and every canadian province except for ontario so go check them out download the prize picks app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports first time users can receive a 100 instant deposit match up to 100 bucks with the promo code locked on meaning you put in 100 bucks and boom all of a sudden 100 dollars of prize picks money appears to join that 100 bucks of yours so you have 200 bucks to then go and play around with don't forget to enter the promo code locked on to get that great deal for 100 dollars matched in on prizepicks.com go check them out The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. 
Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, let's continue on here with your first listen of the day. Digging into your mailbag questions, and a lot of good ones came in today. Let's get to this one here from Jay, who asks, how do the Raptors find their shooting stroke again? A lot of issues disappear if they just hit open shots, and I don't disagree. I still think the biggest problem with this team right now is that their three best three-point shooters are having outlier, terrible three-point shooting seasons. And if those things can turn around... I feel like a lot of the Raptors' issues will not necessarily disappear because the defense still remains a bit of a thing, although the defense becomes less of a concern if the offense is actually performing and, you know, able to score in the half court. But yeah, the the shooting is, I think, issue number one here. You didn't come into this season expecting OG Ananobi, Fred Van Vliet, and Gary Trent Jr. to all shoot around 33% from three. We No one thought that. Fred's been a great three-point shooter, a knockdown guy, a high-volume guy for years. OG has perennially been a 36, 37, 38, even 40% three-point shooter as a catch-and-shoot guy. That's really fallen off, of course. I think for OG, a big part of it early in the season was the fact that he was filling in for an injured Pascal Siakam, a lot more creation burden on him, a lot less quality to the looks he was getting, and I still think there will be some time for that to even out. It's just... Those three guys shooting the way they have saps so much out of what makes the Raptors' best lineups effective, and there's only so much you can do. Pascal Siakam can only do so much to put the team on his back. He creates a lot of looks for guys. If those looks, which are super high quality, very open a lot of the time, aren't falling, you kind of have to shrug your shoulders and say the Dwayne Caseyism. it's a make-or-miss league, Doug. It's not ideal. There's not a lot in terms of other solutions coming about either, right? I think you came into the season thinking, hey, oh, Precious Achua, if he can replicate what he did at the back part of last year, that's awesome. Otto Porter Jr., knockdown guy, he's going to be fantastic. Neither of those guys have been available. Neither of those guys have shot the high volume. Neither of those guys, or at least Precious, has not hit the threes at the rate that you hoped. And you're just not getting a ton of other emergences on the roster. Pascal's back to something resembling, you know, his his previous three-point form. That's great to see. Scotty has been shooting them happily and liberally. He's not hitting them necessarily at a great clip, but he's, you know, trying to do his part. But ultimately, OG, Trent, and Fred got to figure it out. And I guess you have to sort of figure out how much you believe those guys can bounce back. And your belief in this team probably hinges on how much you believe in those guys turning things around. I think for me, the guy I'm least worried about is Gary Trent Jr. Um, You know, he's a shooter. He's a gunner. Shooters go on heaters. Shooters have cold spells. And ultimately, they usually kind of come out even in the wash. And I think especially... Now that you're seeing a lot of Trent playing with Pascal Siakam in in in-between lineups, in the starting lineup, whatever it might be, if he does return to the starting five, which maybe he's making a play for right now, you know, the looks for Trent are going to be good. And I think Gary Trent Jr. giving good looks is just going to hit him. That's the kind of dude he is. I don't see a lot going on in his game that suggests there should be this big precipitous drop off with his shooting. OG is a different story. OG is doing a lot defensively. You know, A, he's trying to actively win hardware and has kind of said as much, right? And he's going to be trying hard on defense all season long, one would presume, 
to go out and win some hardware. And look, the results, can't complain. Pretty awesome. He's a lot of fun to watch play defense. Maybe the most fun thing to watch on this team right now, non-Pascal Siakam carving up opposing defenses division. And that's a lot of energy that he's throwing into that. Not to mention, he's also overcompensating right now for a lot of very bad perimeter defense elsewhere on the roster. And you have to think that's bleeding into the three-point stroke on the other end. Not to mention his offense this season, while he's not the number one creator for this team, there's still more burden to it. He's driving a lot more. He's getting into the teeth of the defense a lot more. And that takes a lot as well. There's just not infinite energy to go around. That's not how physics works. That's not how anything works. And you have to allocate your energy. And I could totally understand if OG's legs are maybe not quite there for his three-point shot in the same way. That said, if he's 35% and offering the defense that he offers, he's still... An absolutely fantastic player. He's the second best player on the Raptors right now. Not much debate about that, and that's fine. So I, I, I'm I'm hopeful that now that Siakam is back, creating good looks, it's going to even out for OG as well, even if I expect him to maybe not reach the heights of 38 39% that he's had in the past, simply because the energy that he's expending on defense is so high. Fred is where the concern could certainly start to creep in. Look, I still think there's a good chance Fred VanVleet rebounds here and is a perfectly capable player in the role that this team needs him to play, which is fourth guy on the team, fourth creation option, third creation option, whatever you want, running the offense in situations where stars are sitting, where Pascal's on the bench, Scotty's on the bench, and working with Pascal in those two-man games that are so effective and are so devastating for opposing defenses. I still think that's on the table for Fred Van Vliet here. You know, we can talk about the extension and his future with the team. At this point, I wonder if he's just playing himself into having to opt into his contract for next year to try to rehash his value for the following year. I don't want to really entertain that right now. I don't think Fred's getting traded this season. I think he's the kind of guy who you wait out. You see what you get from him over the course of the full year. You see what he wants to do in the offseason, whether it's opt-in or opt-out. You don't have to make a decision on Fred Van Vliet right now, and that's fine. I think he still has the capacity to bounce back. I think his defense, even if the point of attack stuff is not as great, the off-ball stuff is incredible. The way he directs and, and sort of controls traffic is really important for this team. I, I still think there's a decent three-point shooter there as a catch-and-shoot guy in particular somewhere. Do I think he's going to get back to the heights of All-Star Fred last year? No, I don't think that's there. Um, I honestly don't think, you know, you should ever have expected, you know, him to repeat what he did to begin last season because it was kind of in this circumstance that the team is really under ideal circumstances never going to present again because it was happening with Pascal Siakam out and then working himself back into rhythm. Um, you know, that said, if you are worried about the physical decline, I get it. I still think it's a little early. I don't know if 28 years old is the time you expect these smaller point guards to start falling off. Um, but if it is weighing on your mind, I understand. And if it's weighing on the future decision to pay Fred, I also understand that. I still think I'm willing to exercise patience here. I think exercising patience, like I said on yesterday's show, is kind of the great market inefficiency in team building. I, I, I just think... How many times do the Raptors have to show that being patient is going to bear fruit at some point if you trust what you're doing internally, if you trust guys' capacities to improve, if you trust guys who bet on themselves to improve on themselves, usually you're going to be paid, you're going to pay off, or it's going to pay off for you. 
I think that's the case here with Fred as well. I think that's the case with the team in general as sort of a big picture take on it. I feel like patience is still the thing to exercise, at least for like another month or so. But if things start to, you know, continue progressing to January, the shooting is still off, then there are certainly bigger questions that you have to really start to examine with the deadline bearing in on you. But for now, yeah, I do think just waiting for these three guys to stop having outlier seasons, I think they're all going to bounce back up in some way, shape, or form to some degree, whether it's all the way back to their previous form, who's to say, but I think even just a slight uptick from all three guys will have pretty big ramifications for the team going forward. So that's a really good question from Jay. I'm glad we got into it. Uh, let's also get into this sort of related question. This one comes from G-Rex. It's clear the Raptors need to make a trade as the current roster is unacceptable. If you had a choice, would you prefer the Raptors to trade for a center or a point guard? Personally, I would say get a point guard to get Fred the rest that he desperately needs. This is a good question. I, I I don't know if I would say the roster is unacceptable. I would say maybe the roster, I don't love the phrase unacceptable when we're talking about sports. It kind of gives a bit of seriousness to it that I don't think is necessary all that much. But uh, it's not perfect, obviously. If it were a perfect roster, we wouldn't be sitting here with a 13-14 to 14 team sort of commiserating uh, here on this glorious Wednesday. Um, you know, it, I think for me... I am coming around on the idea of just needing some kind of shooting injection into the team. Whether it comes in the form of a big or a point guard, who's to say? I do think I'm coming around on the idea of Miles Turner as a guy who can kind of solve both problems, um, which we'll kind of examine coming up in a sec with another question here. But um, I, I, yeah, I, I think just any sort of shooting injection, whether it's a point guard, whether it's a big, whether it's a wing, I think is what this team desperately needs right now. I also wouldn't hate an extra rim protector just to kind of give you some insurance for Christian Coloco, who is very clearly talented and offers a lot to the defense when he's in there, but is still very clearly green and working on refining his game and learning the speed of the NBA and learning how not to foul every minute. I do think a bit of a stopgap there would be pretty handy. Um, you may not be able to do all of it, though, right? There's only a finite number of resources, a finite number of players around the league, and a lot of teams that are going to be after that finite number of players. So you might not get everything you want, but some sort of shooting is, I think, the, t the thing the team needs most right now. We're going to continue on, round out the show in just a second with a little bit more in terms of uh, big picture questions from you, the listeners. We'll try to go rapid fire on a few of these, uh, talk some trades, talk some uh, hypotheticals for the rest of the season. And a really interesting question about fandom from our pal Eric Morris, who is one of the best question askers routinely here on the show. We will get to that in just one sec. Before we do that, however, we got to tell you about our dear friends over at betonline.net, the number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis this season. I am very bad at sports gambling because I don't really pay attention to it all that much. I really only partake when I go to a game itself to kind of enhance the in-person experience. That's really the only time I dabble. And when I do that, I don't do my research. I'm a fool and I lose money all the time because I'm just like going with my gut. And my gut is dumb, doesn't know what it's talking about. Instead, you should go to Bet Online. They have all the information, injury analysis, why the lines are set the way they are. They're going to help you become the informed wagerer and make it so when you put your money down, it's an educated guess at the very least, or you know, maybe even something better than that. Head to the website today. Use your mobile device to learn more. They are the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info. They are Bet Online, where the game starts. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. 
Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And we continue on here, rounding out your Mailbag Tuesday episode of the show. Hopefully offering a little bit of therapy. I don't know, man. It's... It's grim right now. Uh, Hopefully this is offering a bit of a respite for those of you who are uh, feeling a little agitated about the local basketball team. This one here comes from at Dwayne Disney. Does the lack of rest and intense training at Rico Hines camp in the summer carry over to mental and physical fatigue and wear and tear for the Raptors? Seems like they'd be running on all cylinders, but this machine is breaking down, just reaching for answers. This is an interesting question. You know, media day. The Rico Hines stuff was all anyone could talk about, and it was the reason for optimism coming into the year in a lot of ways that the team was going to hit the ground running from day one. And look, they kind of did. The first week or two of the season, they looked fantastic. They looked really, really good. They looked like they were building towards something. I was writing all sorts of very aspirational, excited blogs and posts about what the team was doing early on in the season and the very positive indicators that they were displaying. And then Pascal Siakam gets hurt, and I know... You're probably sitting there, Sean, it's not all to do with Pascal Siakam getting hurt. Shut up. Stop. He's back in the lineup. Has been so for a while. I still think you can't underestimate how much that threw the season off kilter early on. He is so important to everything the Raptors do right now. It put guys into different positions where they were being overtaxed, maybe playing too many minutes, asked to do too much, spread too thin. Scotty Barnes' struggles really line up with the time where Pascal was out for the most part. Um, obviously, the last couple of games notwithstanding, but Pat, Scotty's worst stretch of the year is when Pascal was out. Not a coincidence. And I still think they're in the midst of trying to get back to what they had early on in the season. It's really difficult, man. It, it, it's just... You know, the the sort of human nature of a season, the ups and downs, the the struggles that come with the mental whatever, the mental blocks that come with having a period where you struggle because of the circumstances around the team, you're still probably bouncing back from that. And yes, these guys are professional athletes. They should be able to power on through and all of that, but it's not just that simple. And I, I do think, you know, the the Rico Hines stuff, I kind of didn't really think was all that important coming into the season. I don't love off-season video and footage of summer runs because like, okay, cool. Everyone's good in the off-season. They're all NBA players. Not shocking here. The fact that they talked about it being a thing that did matter coming into the year, that they were feeling, you know, a, a wave of sort of, I, I guess, momentum or whatever coming into the year because of what they did in the summer together in large part, I, you know, I think that matters. I think that has to be considered as like a, a thing that was informing the optimism of the season. And so I'm not going to say it was a bad thing, but hey, you know, it, it, the, when you compound that with the fact that the Raptors play a very high octane style of play and a very demanding style of play, maybe there is some sort of cumulative effects of that over, you know, that, that overwork or whatever. Again, I don't think the Raptors are just letting their guys overwork each other either, right? Like, I, I just feel like they, they have a pulse on this. They have, it's the organization's job to know where guys are at physically whether in the off-season or in-season. There's obviously constant communication. Uh, you know, there's some weird, like, Pascal slips on a floor. What are you supposed to do about that, right? It, it, it's it's not a satisfying answer to say weird randomness and sort of freak injuries and the fallout from those freak injuries have kind of set this season on a bit of a weird course, but it's kind of still where I'm at. And I do think there is a capacity for this team to be good as currently constructed. It's just not happening right now. And we'll have to see if they can turn it around because again, a little more, you know, a month more of this 
And I don't know. Things could get weird for sure before the deadline. Next question here, speaking of the deadline, is from the Matthew T. Hey, Sean, what would it take to trade for Jakob Pertle? Also, who are some shooters the Raptors could acquire? Uh, this is a, a good question here that I forgot to make it a ticker mode, so it's not scrolling across the bottom of the page. There it is now. Uh, so what, what would it take to trade for Jakob Pertle? Ideally, only a first and whatever salary matching filler, you got to go back the other way. Problem is, there's going to be a lot of teams that want Jakob Pertle and his rim protection at the deadline. And it might become a bit of a bidding war. You might have to throw in two first round picks. Do you have to include like Precious Achua as like a, a guy to kind of grease the wheels of that deal? If that's the case, I'm probably not doing it. Um, if it's two first round picks, I'm probably not doing it. Because as much as I love Jakob Pertle and would love to see him back on the team. I am concerned about the free throws, the fact that he might not address the half-court offense issues the team has. You know, he offers rim protection. That's fantastic. They need that as well, especially if they're going to remain this type of defense where they're constantly asking their back line of defense to be a back line of defense to save them and clean up messes. That's a thing Pirtle would be fantastic for. But I do wonder if the cost of acquisition might outweigh what he would actually actually tangibly provide to the team as a rental, mind you, um, who you're probably not keeping around beyond the end of the season. It's um, it's one that I may be kind of softening on a little bit just because I know what the sort of landscape of the league is right now. Lots of teams are going to be looking to make upgrades. The Warriors are circling around a Yakup Pirtle. Honestly, any contender should be looking at Yakup Pirtle as a backup center option to help bolster their title odds or their, or their potential playoff equity. And the Raptors might not be in a position where it's worth throwing what these other teams who are closer to a title might want to throw to go get Jakob Hurdle from the Spurs. The Spurs are in the driver's seat for that one, and I think it might be a little bit of a tall ask. That said, you know, when it comes to other shooters, I mentioned Miles Turner. Dude's shooting 42% this season. And look, it's a difficult thing. He's an expiring guy as well. That said... You trade for Miles Turner, I would assume it's with the intention to keep him around, as the Raptors have done with other guys in the past, acquiring their bird rights and keeping them around. Serge Ibaka is one example. Uh, Thad Young is one example. Gary Trent Jr. is one example. This is a thing they have a track record of doing. I don't think they're thrown off by the idea of a guy going into his free agency summer because they feel that bird rights are a big enough thing to keep a guy in town. You can offer them more money, more years, all of that. That's obviously a big thing. I think they did this with Marcus Saul as well, if I'm not mistaken. Um, this is a thing they do. And I, I could totally see a world in which they trade for Miles Turner and say, all right, you're the fourth guy in this core. Let's go a and pay him to be that. Maybe that comes at the expense of Fred Van Vliet being on the team long term. I would imagine Gary Trent Jr. is probably involved going out in a deal like that. And if you feel like you can give up Gary Trent Jr. shooting at this point, it better be for someone who can shoot. And Miles Turner is doing that right now. Will he always shoot 42% from three? Probably not. Is he going to be more of the sort of average-ish shooter he's been throughout his career? Probably, but that's still a thing that you don't have right now, especially from a position where it would be a very valuable thing just geometrically with the way you kind of align the guys on the floor. You're getting shooting from that five spot, which they haven't really had outside of Precious last season to close the year. Then that, I think, is a worthwhile thing to go for. And, I, and I'm starting to come around on the idea of two firsts for Miles Turner. Maybe that's all this team really needs to kind of shore up its two biggest issues, which are backline defense and three-point shooting. If you are able to make that happen, like think of the blocks Miles Turner would get with, you know, the the, the blow-bys of, of, of Scotty Barnes and, and, and Fred Van Vliet. 
that he that they allow just funneling the him funneling guys to Miles Turner to swat it away. That sounds pretty exciting to me. And I know the Pacers are good. And if I'm the Pacers, I don't trade Miles Turner. I think I just keep him and say, hey, you know, you're 26. You can play with Halliburton and Matherin and go go forward with this team. But we don't know how they're going to operate if they start falling down the standings here a little bit. Maybe they go ahead and look at moving Turner. And in which case, like, I know the Raptors have been rumored to be after Turner for a very, very long time. But he's someone I would probably go and try to consider. Other shooters, I mean... Terry Rozier is having a pretty decent season. He's always been a pretty average to slightly above average three-point shooter throughout his career. The Hornets are really bad. He's maybe a guy you could try to pry out of Charlotte. You know, he's got a couple years left on his deal. It might be more of a you trade Gary Trent Jr. or hell, Fred Van Vliet maybe uh, to get that done. I wouldn't trade Fred Van Vliet for Terry Rozier, I don't think. Um, might trade Gary Trent though. And, you know, maybe that's how you solve that. But then you get smaller. That's a bit of a question. Obviously, the Bogdanoviches that we talked about on yesterday's show are probably the top priorities for most teams as well uh boyan in particular in uh in got detroit is probably number one on most teams lists as shams kind of reported yesterday in his piece for the athletic um but yeah it, it, it's uh they're gonna have to find they're gonna we'll, we'll, we'll talk about more names as we go forward here we'll probably do like a names from a hat type thing like we did for the mid-level guys in the off season have some fun with it as we get closer to trade season here but um i do think it's kind of becoming clear that there's got to be something done to bolster the roster as is i'm not trading by the way trent or fred van vliet for a step back i that's not happening i i don't think you can do that pascal siakam is too good you don't want to alienate him when he's going to be up for an extension potentially this summer as well not uh something you want to do i don't think so uh, you know if it's you can trade fred or gary trent jr for a lateral move or an upgrade that maybe cleans up your books or makes a little bit more cost control for the future then there's that um but otherwise i think just finding guys finding ways to add to the current core is probably the way i'd go just to sort of supplement and hopefully you get those bounce backs and shooting that we've talked about as well off the top uh, second to last question. This one comes from 40 and dunking. Which team will finish the season with a lower three, three point percentage? The Raptors currently at 32.4%. The Lakers currently at 32.2 or the Knicks currently at 31.9. I'm going to say the Lakers just because I think the Lakers have fewer sort of proven shooters on the roster than either of these other teams. The Raptors, like we talked about it, they have proven guys If OG Fred and Trent, or even two of those guys bounce back to their regular averages that probably helps them climb the, the, the standings and, you know, not even be in this sort of bottom three morass of teams from outside. The Lakers, like right now, their second best three-point shooter is Lonnie Walker, who has never been more than like a 35% shooter. That would be concerning to me if I'm the Lakers. If I'm having my three-point percentage, the bellwether guy is Lonnie Walker. I don't know, man. That is troublesome to me. The Knicks, you're getting some underperformance right now from R.J. Barrett, who's been a career 35-ish percent guy who's at like 28. Uh, Jalen Brunson's a few percentage points below his usual standards. Maybe that's just where he's at now as sort of more of a primary creator. Difficult looks, all of that. He's not getting Luka Doncic created threes for him. So maybe that three-point dip makes a lot of sense contextually. But I would say the Raptors have the most good shooters you know, historically speaking, of all these three teams. So it wouldn't be the Raptors I have last. I would probably say the Lakers because, um, you know, that's just they, they don't got anybody. It's terrible. Russell Westbrook throwing up bricks. Uh, lastly, this is a really good question. This one comes from Eric Morris. I've been a fan of the Raptors since the Vince Carter days. I've been through some rough stretches before, but my brother-in-law decided to get into basketball and the Raptors fandom this season with me. Do you have any tips to help him stay invested this is a fantastic question and you know i, I think 
the way I've done this show for the last seven years or so, it's been a long ass time. Wow. Um, I've always tried to sort of take the big picture view to fandom, right? I am not someone who lives and dies with, does my team win a championship every year? That's the way you are. Fine. Go nuts. But that does seem like a pretty easy way to be very angry about what is supposed to be fun entertainment. That's not how I approach the Raptors. And so I would advise, number one, don't hinge all of your hopes and dreams and fandom and identity on does the team win a championship in the end? Every season is different. My big thing with the NBA is I think the stories of teams and players are not told over the course of one year. I think it's a long-term thing. The Raptors of this past decade are a perfect example, and maybe too perfect and like unattainable an example that is so hard to replicate around the league, but they built to that title for like six, seven years, and it was a long, long haul. Lots of ups, lots of downs, you know, lots of inflection points, lots of times where it could have veered off the road into a different path and not led to a title. But it was so satisfying because of all those ups and downs and because it was a multi-year arc that the Raptors lived out. I think you got to have that same approach. And for if, you know, right now you're getting into the team, you're looking at it right now. Yes, it's not been the most fun season. It's been a little disappointing, a lot disappointing to some people. I'm a little more in the little disappointed, not a lot sort of camp. But if you're a lot disappointed, I understand too. But that said, this is the stuff that makes the sort of grander picture of things a little more easy to digest and a little bit more easy to look forward to. And I do think the Raptors in particular are a team where you should have benefit of the doubt when it comes to the front office, the coaching staff. They have done a very good job. They've been a, built a sustainable winner. They've had one down season in the last 10 years, and that season was one where the half the team got COVID when they were fourth in the Eastern Conference and derailed the season from there. I, I really think that over time, your patience this season will pay off whatever it is. One, two, three, five years down the line, these things take a lot of time. Scotty Barnes is in his second season in the NBA. Giannis Antetokounmpo was in like his ninth season. He didn't win a title till his seventh season, I believe. It takes time for these guys to reach the heights that we all really want to see them attain. Even Luka Doncic is in like season five and still, you know, he's gotten to a conference final, all of that, but there's been a lot of heartbreak for the Mavs as well in that time. That's part of the deal. So I think getting on board and accepting that there's going to be disappointment, it's not always going to be happy, and that will enrich your enjoyment when things are good down the line. I think that's kind of step number one to sort of staying invested and being a being a sort of a, a fan that can ride the ups and downs. Other than that, I would say like pick some dudes. Eric, get your brother-in-law to to pick some dudes. Like I I think everyone should have two dudes on the team that they really kind of live and die with. First, pick a star. Pascal Siakam's a really easy one, right? Get on board, tie yourself to what that guy's doing in a game. The Raptors might have a bad performance, but like I like watching Pascal if Pascal has himself an awesome game and a loss, I can sort of justify that loss and make myself feel happy by saying, hey, Pascal, what a great night that was. It was really fun to watch him play basketball at that level. I think pick your star who's like a metronome of he's going to make me happy pretty much every single night. And then find some under the radar dudes. Find less heralded dudes to throw your weight behind as well, whether it's rational, irrational, maybe there's some reason that you like a player, maybe you cape for them in the draft and they get picked and you just have to marry yourself to them. That was Terrence Ross for me. He's on a picture behind me on my wall there. 
loved Terrence Ross, will love Terrence Ross as a Raptor for the rest of time. And it wasn't always happy. It wasn't always satisfying. But I can tell you for damn sure, one of the best fan moments I've ever had is when Terrence Ross, this dude who I loved unconditionally in his early days with the Raptors, scored 51 whole-ass points. That was really satisfying, really cool. When those guys pop off and they have their moments, it's a really fun way to kind of keep yourself going through the season. And I, and I really just would advise... And this, I think, is worthwhile advice for those who are frustrated with the team right now, not just Eric's brother-in-law. This is a six-month enterprise, right? This is a thing that is meant to entertain you over the course of the long haul. And knowing that it's not always going to be peak entertainment, that there's going to be lulls. It's like an epi- a season of television. Sometimes there are great episodes. Sometimes there are filler episodes. Sometimes there are episodes that don't make any sense. But you commit yourself to the characters and you grow and learn and, and sort of you know ride the waves of a show with the characters. That is, I think, how you really come to appreciate TV or, or anything like that, any artistic enterprise. And it's honestly the same thing here. It's a long haul. The guys are going to you know, change. There's going to be new faces, you know, faces that leave. There are going to be guys who are around for a very long time. And I think sort of you know, getting in touch with the characters who kind of make and bring the season to life is really the way. Watch Open Gym. Watch stuff like that. You know, take in podcasts. Listen to Locked On Raptors. Pretty fun. I don't know. I like, to think, I like to think that this podcast, if nothing else, while maybe not providing the X's and O's breakdowns that you might get with our pal Samson or something like that, offers a bit of a, a place to just have it be fun to be a fan. Um, I, I, you know, seek that stuff out. Seek, seek people who are like-minded to you. If you are an analytics person, go find, you know, numbers-focused podcasts. If you're curious in the X and O's, plenty of options for that as well. Um, so yeah, there's lots of different ways to kind of get in and stay invested as a fan. I hope that was a detailed enough breakdown. Maybe it was too detailed. I don't know, but, um, I think I'm going to leave it there for now. Thank you for the wonderful questions. Hopefully this was a bit of a therapy session for those who are struggling with what the team's doing right now. And look, can't blame you. It's been pretty rough the last little while here. And it would be nice to see them kind of perform like we're used to the Raptors performing. It's very jarring to see the Raptors not be performing above expectations. It's just the thing they've done since, you know, I was in my early 20s. Like, it's been a long time since we've seen the Raptors have these struggles that can't be attributed to a worldwide pandemic and a relocation to an empty gym in Tampa. Um, it's, it's bizarre. But these things happen. Teams go through swoons, and I would imagine that sometime in the next month we'll be talking about a glorious streak of excellent play from the Raptors, just because that's how the ups and downs of a season tend to go. With that, we will leave it off there. We'll be back again tomorrow with Katie Heindel. We're going to do a little exercise. We're going to go back to the summer, a wonderful time, where we're not seasonally affected and sad, and look at what our expectations were for various members of the team and how they performed compared to those expectations. I think it'll be a pretty illuminating conversation with our pal Katie for a whatevs Wednesday. So you have that to look forward to. Uh, Jamar Hines will be around Thursday to talk about the Kings game. We got Casey Bannerman, notable Toronto Raptors themed artist. And he does more than just Raptors stuff. I keep calling him a Raptors themed artist, but he does a lot of great Raptors stuff in concert with the Raptors. Casey's going to be on the podcast on Friday. That should be fun. In the meantime, please go support the podcast. Subscribe, rate, review, tell a friend, all that good stuff. And you can go make your second listen of the day. Locked on Leafs with our pals Mike and Dave who are covering a very good Toronto Maple Leafs team that is mowing down the NHL right now. And it's kind of a blast. So go check out Mike and Dave over there. And we'll leave you to it. We'll talk to you again on Wednesday with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Bye.
Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.